0: Welcome to the 15th episode of the HeadKick KO podcast. Today we're going to be looking forward to UFC fight night, Overeem versus Volkov. Then we're going to talk a little bit about Conor McGregor's game plan against Dustin Poirier. John Kavanaugh recently came out and did an interview with Ariel Hawani. And there's a couple things he said in there that I want to talk about today because I found them very interesting. And then we're going to look at some of the matchups for the UFC lightweight division And we're gonna talk about some interesting topics that we usually don't talk about. We're going to talk about judging and how MMA judging, specifically in the UFC, can be improved. And then we're going to look at a Michael Chandler quote about how you should treat a fighter after a knockout, which I think is really interesting. And then we're gonna touch on some additional news points that we would be remiss to not talk about. So, starting off, we have UFC Fight Night, Volkov versus Overeem so main event obviously Alistair Overeem versus Alexander Volkov in this fight we have Overeem who's looking to get a couple more wins under his belt as he's looking to make a push to hopefully get a UFC title shot in the heavyweight division so in this fight we have Alistair Overeem and over Overeem's last couple fights in this run in the UFC he showed more of his grappling side and he's Overeem's obviously a decorated striker, K1 champ, and he's one of the best strikers in the heavyweight division from a technical aspect, but he's also showed some great grappling in his last couple fights. Uh, his last fight against Augusto Sakai, he finished with ground and pound. His fight against Rosen strike. he had a lot of dominant time on the ground. He eventually got knocked out in the last five seconds, but he's... He did have a lot of ground control in that fight, and I think that's going to be the same type of fight we see here. Obviously, Volkov is a great striker, long reach, good Muay Thai, really good Muay Thai from Volkov, so I think from Overeem, we're going to see a lot of dominant ground control, a lot of ground time for Overeem, and Overeem is very active on the ground. He doesn't just lay and and uh, tried to let the clock run out and went around. He's active with ground and pound, so I think we're gonna see a TKO here for Overeem, probably later fourth round. But I wouldn't be surprised if this goes to decision, and I also wouldn't be surprised if Volkov is able to win this fight if he can stop the takedowns of Overeem. And then in the co-main, we have a very good co-main for a UFC Fight Night card. This fight could headline a Fight Night. But it's on a co-main, so that's a really good fight. We have Corey Sandhagen versus Frankie Edgar. This is another really interesting fight. I'm surprised Corey Sandhagen is taking a fight here because from Sandhagen, he could have really sat out and he could have got Dillashaw or he could have got the next title after the next title shot after Al Joe and Piotr Jan fight here coming up. He decided he wanted to stay active, so he's going up against Frankie Edgar. And in this fight, this is an interesting stylistic matchup. Frankie Edgar, obviously, great cardio, great wrestling. Corey Sanhagen, great striker. Now, is Corey Sanhagen going to be able to defend the takedown? Because last time he went up against a great wrestler, it was against Eljo. And he got submitted in the first round as as Eljo got to the back very quickly on on Sanhagen. So, if we can see some improvements from Sanhagen on his grappling, he's got a very good chance. I think he's going to be the more dominant striker in this. I think he is a lot longer and has a lot more weapons in terms of striking in comparison to Frankie Edgar. So, if Corey Sanhagen can keep this on his on the feet, which I think he will be able to do, I think he will win via, via knockout, via TKO. It really could happen in any round, but I see... I'd say second round is that would be my, my my prediction is second round TKO for Corey Sanhagen. And side note, this this fight night card is one of the better fight night cards cards we've had in a long time. Another fun fight on this card is Men Manel Cape versus Alexandre Pantoja. Obviously, Manel Cape is this is his first fight in the UFC and i have talked about him on this podcast before and he is one of my favorite fighters making his debut in the ufc he was a rising champion at 125 and now he's coming to the ufc entering the 125 pound division so it's going to be very interesting how he fares up with the, some of these um featherweight or flyweights in the ufc i think he's fought great competition over in japan So I'm very excited to see him finally make his UFC debut. This has been pushed back. He was supposed to make this debut several times. This is the third or fourth time he's had a fight get pushed back. He was the backup fighter for Figgy versus Moreno in December. So he is finally getting his UFC debut. And I think he could be a dark horse to make a title run here in this 125 pound division. After we get Moreno versus Figueredo here in the upcoming months that will probably take place late spring early summer so once we get that fight taking place there's really a lot of openings for the next contender at 125 pounds especially if garbrandt decides he wants to stay at 135 as garbrandt is trying to get an aldo fight right now he's probably gunning for tj dillashaw now that dillashaw has returned so this is a great opportunity for Manel Cape to make that UFC, de- UFC debut and kind of impress. And I think he will do that. I think he edges out a decision here. I think he's a superior fighter, and I think he is going to have a dominant decision win. And then we also see Corey Stammen, who is back against Andre Ewell, who two very good fighters in this bantamweight division. And I lean towards Stammen in this one. And André Ewell is obviously a very good fighter, but Corey Stamon is a decorated wrestler, and he has very powerful striking as well. So I lean Corey Stamon on this one, or Cody Stamon, excuse me. And then lightweight. This fight is opening the main card, which I'm very surprised about, is Carlos Ferreira versus Benil Darush? This is a matchup of two ranked lightweights. We have Darush, who is 13th, and Ferreira, who is 8th. And these two guys are two of the dark horses in this lightweight division two very talented fighters who were really seeing work their way up these rankings here. Darius's last two fights have been fight of the nights, knockouts of the night two he had the spinning elbow and he had the area the spinning back fist and he had another knockout against jakar close which he was losing that fight and then he eventually came back and got that knockout so for darush i'm very interested to see how he does against some upper level competition he's fought great guys obviously but his last two fights were against a little bit a little bit weaker competition so now he's stepping back up he's obviously fought good competition before but now he's back into it and let's see how much he's improved and how much he can do against some of these ranked guys obviously Ferreira is also a very talented fighter but I'm going to lean Daryush on this one as I think he has underrated knockout power. He doesn't look like he hits that hard but he puts guys to sleep. So for that I lean to Benil Daryush on this one. And then on the prelims we have a very fun fight on the prelims which is Michael Johnson versus Clay Guida. And this is is a fun stylistic matchup if if you know anything about clay clay guida or michael johnson you know they get in wars these dudes get in battles this has early fight of the night potential written all over it this is the last fight on the prelims obviously michael johnson has been in wars clay weed has been in wars and I think um, that's exactly what this fight's going to be. When you take two guys that love getting in wars, they usually get in wars. That's how it goes. I think that's what we're going to see. And I think we're going to see three rounds of back and forth fighting that's going to go to a decision. And it's likely going to be the fight of the night. I lean towards Michael Johnson in this. Michael Johnson is one of the better lightweights who is not ranked right now. He's, he's on a little bit of a rough patch right now. But... Um, the youthfulness I lean towards that in this fight obviously two similar styles like I said but I think the youthfulness is going to play towards Michael Johnson's advantage Clay Guida is getting up there in age but he does have a lot of experience Michael Johnson also has experience though as he's been in the cage with some great fighters like Dustin Poirier he he beat Poirier and Justin Gaethje but I think Michael Johnson is going to be able to win this one And that is the last fight I want to talk about on this uh, fight night card coming up on Saturday. We usually do that at the end of the show, but today we we let off with it because we didn't have a card to talk about from last night. And so let's move on to Conor McGregor's game plan and John Cavanaugh's interview with Ariel Hawani. So this was um, obviously there's Dustin came out with a... Okay, let me preface preface this by saying that I'm not trying to take anything away from Dustin Poirier here. Dustin Poirier came out with a great game plan and was able to beat Conor McGregor. And the reason I'm addressing these things is to not take away from Poirier, but rather kind of look forward in ways that Conor can improve in his game plans in future fights. That's why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this in an attempt to take away from Dustin Poirier, because obviously he went out last weekend and he performed great. But I feel like these are some important things that need to be talked about, and that's why I'm talking about them. So this interview that John Kavanaugh did with Ariel Hawani, John Kavanaugh always does an interview with Ariel after fights. So that is um, a regular and he usually talks about the game plan that they had coming into the fight and how that was executed. Now, the first major thing that was a big red flag in this interview is Kavanaugh said they they were hoping Dustin would grapple kinda early because it would tire Dustin out. Now, this is very silly. That's the only way to describe it is silly. Because yes, does take going for a takedown that does Dustin out, but it also also tires Connor kind of out having to get back up. But the reason this was so silly and so worrisome to me is because John Kavanaugh, after the Habib fight came out and said, you know our game plan was to let Habib take us down and and get tired taking us down and then hopefully tire him out from from Habib being on top. Now those are two and they said after the Habib fight they said, well, we won't do that again. That was, in retrospect, it was a very bad idea. And in a rematch, we, we wouldn't want that. Now, So now you're fighting Dustin Poirier and you say, we'd like Dustin Poirier to take us down to tire himself out. Those are two very similar game plans. And it didn't work the first time. And after the first time, you said, well, we probably shouldn't do that again. And then they come in with a very similar game plan of hoping Dustin would try and take Connor down. That, to me... It just is not going to be an effective way for Connor to win, and it shows a deeper issue here of the SBG SBG Ireland's game planning, and, and and we see here with SBG SBG doesn't really have that many talented guys outside of Connor. That gym hasn't really been able to build up other fighters, and that's a big issue. So, what's the quality of this gym? It's really hard to say. John Kavanaugh is obviously a very talented guy. Owen Roddy is a very talented guy. These are two great coaches, but I'm not sure if they come up with the best game plans in comparison to guys like Mike Brown and Eugene Bearman and Vrasahabi because now we're in an era where game plans are the more important thing in comparison to talent. Obviously, you have to have talent in this sport, but once you get in the top 15, top 10, top 5 especially, everybody has the talent required to fight in MMA and in the UFC. So now we see where game plans really are are crucial. You see in fights like Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway, in both of those fights, especially the first fight, Alexander Volkanovsky came in with an amazing game plan to beat Max. He hit him with leg kicks and used a lot of feints, that way Max couldn't get in rhythm and Max couldn't pressure him and use his cardio to his advantage. Volkanovsky obviously won both of those fights. The first one convincingly, the second one's a toss up. You can give that to Max, I personally scored it for Max, but he still won that fight. So he came in with a great game plan and I don't know if Alexander Volkanovsky is the more skilled fighter in comparison to Max Holloway. Did he come in with a better game plan? Yes. Both times she comes in with a get a better game plan and has a it can close that skill gap. A similar thing we saw with Poirier versus McGregor. Poirier came in, had a clear game plan, which was attack the legs. He wanted to attack the legs and chop Connor down. Great game plan. He wins the fight. Would you argue that Dustin Poirier is more talented than Connor McGregor? Um this fight was basically taking place on the feet, but Conor McGregor has far more tools, in my opinion, to win a fight on the feet than Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier's advantages are in cardio and durability. A lot of people think Conor has better boxing. Conor probably has better kicks to the head and to the body. But Dustin Poirier was able to identify Conor's biggest weakness and take advantage of that. So this game plan is what really was able to allow Dustin to get him out of there in the second round. So I think this opens up a bigger discussion of game plans in mma and can sbg ireland come up with the proper game plan for connor to win big fights because if they can't adjust and adapt and come up with these game plans connor isn't going to win because other teams will come up with the proper game plan to beat connor so and another thing that kavanaugh said that was really concerning to me was they were talking about leg kicks and they said they We're wearing shin pads, shin pads, and they were practicing checking leg kicks. He said they obviously weren't doing a good enough job with that. And when you're wearing the pads, you can sometimes trick yourself mentally into thinking you checked it because you, but you didn't quite check it well enough. This is something that because you're wearing the pads, the pads kind of, they, they, there's a little bit of error. In, in a sense that you don't get the same feedback as if you're checking a leg kick without the pads. You need to, it, you really need to exaggerate that, that act of checking the leg kick with the pads in order to ensure that you can check that leg kick in the fight. So, but the more concerning thing he said was, we didn't think the leg kicks would have that big of an effect, which is so very concerning to me because if you look at previous fights, and there's been big fights, but within the last several years, last year specifically, we have seen leg kicks do major damage. We have seen leg kick TKOs. We have seen in fights like Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa, the big story of that fights were also leg kicks up until the point where Izzy finished the fight. And Paulo Costa had a big, big uh, lead leg. His lead leg was beat up bad. And that's on a guy with bigger legs and... and um, they thought that the leg kicks wouldn't be that effective, so that raises a big question of their ability to come up with a proper game plan because that is very concerning to me. And this is coming from someone who big fan of Kavanaugh and SBG SV, Ireland. But the fact is, is that if you try to game plan again that you didn't that didn't work the first time, if you come out and say openly. We didn't think the leg kicks would have that big of an effect. These are two very questionable things that raises a big question about Connor's future at SBG. Because if he stays at SBG, can he be successful again? I'm not sure. If he go, I don't think Connor will ever leave SBG because several reasons. He's big with SBG. He's helped out SBG a lot. And when TJ Dillashaw left Team Alpha Male. He really ragged on D- TJ Dillashaw for being a snake, for leaving the team that helped him grow. So, Connor just doesn't seem like the type of guy who would leave SBG Ireland. I do think if he were to leave and go to a more established camp like um, Tiger Muay Thai or City Kickboxing or a good kickboxing gym like that, we would see Connor's skill set evolve and kind of go back to his prior skill set, which used more kicks. And didn't focus as much on the boxing, so I think those are some big questions that we have from Conor, and these questions won't really be answered until we see Conor fight again. So that leads us into our next big segment, which is the lightweight matchups. What what are we what are we going to see here? Obviously, the one thing that I think, is, or two things that I think are pretty much a fact at this point, is that Habib is going to retire. I imagine that that belt will be vacated or relinquished any second now. Um, at this point, there's no point in Habib holding the belt. Dana said he doesn't think he's gonna come back. Habib has made it pretty clear that he's not coming back, so I wouldn't be surprised for that belt to be vacated. They might wait, and they might they might wait for that belt to be vacated until they determine who's going to fight for it. That's a very real possibility. The UFC may wait until they match up Poirier with someone. And then once they figure out who is going to fight for the belt, then have Habib relinquish it. That's probably the route they're going to go. That way that belt doesn't stay vacated for an extended period of time. Now the question is, who is going to fight for the belt? I'm going to give you the who I think should fight for the belt and the other possibilities we could see for the belt. Obviously, both of these situations, we have Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier will be fighting for the UFC lightweight belt assuming that he stays healthy and there's nothing no no um external issues that prevent him from fighting for the belt now who will Dustin Poirier face now in this I lean I say this fight should go to Charles Oliveira he's won eight fights in a row and his last two against Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee, he submitted Kevin Lee. He's got the dominant, dominant decision victory over Tony Ferguson, where you could make the case that all three of those rounds were 10 8 rounds. At least two of them were. So I think it's hard to say that Charles Oliveira doesn't deserve the next shot at the title. Now, the UFC could, there's two other big ways where I think the UFC could go. And these other two ways that the UFC could go first being conor mcgregor in the press conference dustin seemed very open to the idea of a trilogy fight and conor whenever he loses the first thing he wants to do is rematch uh, that happened against nate diaz he lost to nate diaz in the first fight and he was up there rematch 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 same thing with habib he's still calling for that rematch and i think Connor's going to want that fight I think Dustin's gonna want that fight because Dustin just proved, hey, I know how to beat Conor McGregor. And for Dustin, he proved he knows how to beat Conor McGregor, and he's gonna get this, uh, probably a bigger payday than the first one. There will probably be, probably be more pay-per-view buys on this. There will probably be, he'll probably get a larger guaranteed salary. So for Dustin Poirier, he thinks, hey, I can beat this guy, and this is gonna be my biggest payday. That would be a fight that Dustin would want for the belt. Now, the second fight being Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is coming back down to 155. There's been talks about him fighting just about everyone. People have said Tony. People have said Gagey. People have said Poirier. And once again, in the post-fight presser, Poirier said he would be willing to fight Nate Diaz. And if Poirier is fighting Nate Diaz, then it pretty much would have to be for a belt because Poirier is fighting. The next time Poirier fights, I imagine the lightweight belt is going to be on the table. So, do I think either of those matchups should be made? No. Even though Nate Diaz and Dustin Poirier have a large history with each other, they were supposed to fight before, it'd be a really fun fight and a fight I would love to see. But I struggle putting Nate Diaz in a title fight after after a loss. I, and I know the UFC has done this before. They did it with Aldo. And they did it with Romero. But that's probably a a practice that the UFC UFC should shy away from. In both of those situations, there weren't as many contenders. Obviously, now we have Oliveira. We have a clear guy who is deserving. And I don't think we should default to the guy coming off a loss. So that's just my opinion on that. And then the other two fights that I think should be made. First being Gaethjei versus Chandler Michael Chandler came off a big win and has a legitimate a legitimate um, case to fight for the title when whenever you knock out Dan Hooker like that you you make a big statement he knocks out Dan Hooker in the first round and if you remember that was Poirier's last fight prior to McGregor was Poirier versus Hooker so in that fight that fight went all five rounds and Dan Hooker almost won so that goes to show how much power and, and the skill of Michael Chandler, and he didn't even use his wrestling in that fight, but the threat of the wrestling is there enough to open up the striking. I think that's a very interesting matchup, Gaethje versus Chandler, and I think it'd be a clear number one contender's fight. And it would prove who, who is the, the next guy up in this situation to fight for the belt after Oliveira and Dustin. And then the final matchup that I made that I think needs to be made ASAP is Connor McGregor versus Tony Ferguson. Now, Connor and Tony are both coming off losses, and this fight has a rich history behind it. Um, when Connor was off Boxing Floyd in 2018, Tony Ferguson had the interim title belt, or the interim title. And Connor McGregor is one of the main reasons that. Tony Ferguson never had the opportunity to fight for a UFC lightweight belt. He obviously had the interim, like I said, but he never got the opportunity to fight for the real undisputed belt. Counter had that belt and was off boxing Floyd. And then some external things obviously prevented Tony from getting that fight against Habib, injuries and whatnot, and COVID on the last one. But with that being said, we have... These two guys here right now, they Dustin Dustin just beat Connor. Tony's coming off two losses against Gaethje and Oliveira. So I think right now that's the best matchup you can make for both of those guys. It has a rich history, and I, this would be an easy fight to sell. Um, whenever Conor McGregor is fighting, it has to be the main event of a pay-per-view. And I think this is the type of quality that could be made for a very good pay-per-view. And I think for the UFC, this could bring this could bring back trash talking, trash talking Conor McGregor. I would not be surprised if we see that if he fights Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson has always had animosity towards McGregor. And I think if we see Tony versus Conor, we likely see trash talk between the two. That would bring up pay per view sales, and I think that may that may reignite Conor's career if we can see some of that intensity they that had early in his career and if he brings that in against Tony. So I think that would be very, very interesting and that would kind of show a lot of people are saying that Connor and Tony are both on their way out. they're both getting older. So I think that the winner of that proves that they are still still an elite fighter and they can move move their way back into the UFC title picture. Now so now we're going to move into some other, one other thing i wanted to talk about or excuse me we're gonna we're gonna look at conor mcgregor's medical suspension so i've seen a lot of people saying that conor mcgregor has been suspended 180 days medical suspension now that's a little misleading because there is is some fine print on that he was suspended 180 days medical suspension but he can get that reduced to 45 days so, the way that works is if Conor McGregor can provide negative, X-ray, negative x-rays ray negative x on his tibula and fibula, then he would be cleared to fight after 45 days. So, basically, if he can prove that there's no structural damage to his knee that was damaged in that fight, it goes down to 45 days. The reason it goes down to 45 days and not all the way down to zero is because he received 45 days for the tko loss and the knockout so um, and 30 of those days are non contact so this suspension will likely only be 45 days for the knockout and those 180 days will likely be gone because it seems like there is no structural damage to connor's legs Every report that has came out has said that his, his knee is fine and it was pretty much just muscle and damage to the muscle and nothing to the joint uh, the, and the knee which makes sense because it's a calf kick so it's really all below the knee so it would make sense that there isn't any structural damage there and it's just all muscle. Once that muscle gets swollen you can't really step, the nerves are damaged but there is nothing structural in terms of bones, tendons, those types of things. So I think this is going to get eventually get cut down to 45 days and there um, really isn't much more to say about that. The next topic I want to talk about is Michael Chandler in his post-fight presser last week talked about how you treat your opponent after a knockout, which I thought was something very interesting. In this, Michael Chandler said, he pretty much said that he doesn't like it when someone comes up and they do the whole... I just knocked you out, now I'm going to hug you, I'm going to give you a kiss on the forehead, and I'm going to act all buddy-buddy. Now this is something that I'm surprised this is the first time any fighter has speaked out against this. Because in reality, I've never I've never been in, a, in an MMA fight before, but I can imagine that the second you lose an MMA fight, the last thing that you want... Is someone coming at the dude that just beat you, whether he choked you out or knocked you out? I can't imagine the last the last person you want in your face is that dude saying, "Oh, you're such a great fighter," you know. I loved facing you, and I mean the dude's being nice, but at the same time, you know, you you just been waked up from being unconscious. I can't imagine you're gonna want you're gonna want to talk to the dude who just put you out cold. We saw that several times on, um. We saw that several times last weekend. I think Lee Jingliang did it after he knocked out Santiago Ponzinibbio. There were a couple others where the dude's been awake for two seconds after he just got his lights put out. And the dude's over there hugging him and you know telling him how great of a fighter he is. And I was glad to hear Michael Chandler speak out about this because I can't imagine that that, that is something anyone would want to be on the receiving end from. Because you wake up, you don't really know where you're at and if you do know where you're at you're not going to be happy because you just you just lost and not only did you lose but that all the additional aspects that come with the loss in the ufc you don't get your win money you you move down in the rank rankings you're further away from that title there's so much negative that comes with a loss in the ufc and all those thoughts are running through your head and then here comes this dude trying to give you a hug and you got the doctors around you trying to make sure you're okay and here comes your opponent, you know, kissing you on the cheek. I was glad to see Michael Chandler talk about this, because I can't imagine that that's that's um that's something that anybody wants. So that was a cool thing to see, and I was glad he talked about that. And then the other big topic is I want to talk about judging today. And really the the main thing there's a two ways I see where we can improve well, three ways we can improve MMA judging. And the first two being very doable and things that could happen right away with little pushback. And the third being a more major change that would kind of restructure the whole system because we did a bo- we did adopt a boxing system of um, muscle rounds and the 10-9 and the 10-8. And that really doesn't translate that well to MMA. Um, so... We're going to talk about that, and the first way that I think we can really improve judging is simply just get better judges. I mean, these judges go out there, and a lot of these commissions give boxing judges. And they're the same guys who score boxing fights, score MMA fights. That obviously is not a good idea. I mean, if, if you're used to watching boxing, then you come into M- MMA, and you see a guy shoot for a takedown, I mean, you don't really know what you're looking at on the ground. You really have to have someone scoring the fight who is, who is experienced. and They don't even have to be experienced in um, participating in MMA. Just be experienced in watching the sport. A lot of these guys come over from boxing, don't know what they're looking at, and then turn in a wonky scorecard, and then we all act surprised when the dude who only watches boxing doesn't know how to score an MMA fight. Those types of guys should never be put on an MMA fight. They have no business judging an MMA fight, and they probably don't want to. They probably just want to stick to uh, judging boxing. So if we can get some more judges who are strictly MMA guys, and if we can make judges more accountable for their scorecards. So for example, we had the biggest one of recent memory in an important fight, was Felder versus RDA. One judge scored that fight for Paul Felder. The other two made it a clear dominant win by RDA, which is what it should have been. I believe that fight was 50-50 45 range, um 48 49 46 range. I don't remember the exact scorecard off my head, but once there's fights where you see, okay, this is going to be a clear one for RDA. And then the first scorecard gets a red and is for Paul Felder. And then everyone's sitting around going, what the hell are we doing here? Why is this? How'd this happen? We should make judges more accountable. They should have to come in and say, hey, this is what I saw. This is why I scored this fight for Paul Felder. And if we can do that, and if they can't provide a logical reason why they scored the fight for Paul Felder then you're out. You don't get to judge again because there's a lot at stake here for a lot of these guys. And these judges really could mess this up badly. So um, that's a big thing. And, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm okay with judges have descending scorecards. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that there's some of these scorecards. There isn't a logical way you could justify a scorecard. I think if any judge can sit down and logically explain how he scored a certain round um, for a certain fighter, then that's fine. But if you can't make a logical argument that a fighter won a round and you gave it to him, then I don't know what to tell you. You got to go because there's a lot at stake here. Okay? The second main way that we can improve MMA judging is just have more judges. So um, I believe it was KSW over the weekend, or, or it might have been XMMA, one of the two promotions have five judges now there's nothing wrong with having five judges it there's only advantages that way in an mma fight currently in the ufc if one judge has a fight scored one way and two judges have it scored the other way it goes to the guy the two judges who scored it one way now you only need two out of the three judges to mess up and then we have a bad decision right But, if you have 5 judges, you need 3 of the 5 judges to mess up and not see it the correct way. It's a lot harder when you need 3 out of 5 to screw up in comparison to 2 out of 3. Just the more judges that take part, the less likely it's going to be that we see weird scorecards and fights going the wrong direction. So. With that, with that, I think five judges is the most realistic change that the UFC can make, and I think that there's no reason why we shouldn't see that change soon by the end of the year. There's, it's a very simple and um, easy change to make. You just put two more guys there, and you have two more scorecards turned in at the end of the night, and the chances of a robbery are far, far less likely so and then we have the final the final solution which is a a big one this is a big change that i doubt we see but i think it would be very beneficial for the sport and this is verdict mma now if you don't know what verdict mma is it's basically an app that you can download where you score fights and you pick fights so you earn points from scoring and picking fights correctly so this, the main thing that I want to look at here is the scoring aspect. Now, this, in, in this sense, it's pretty much anyone who has the app can score the fight. Now, in this, we see, we don't see you score in a 10-9 or a 10-8, or you have the option for a 10-7. Most fights, obviously, are 10-9 or 10-8. So you score it, and then it gets pulled with everyone else's everyone else's score from the world, and then it spits out a number. Now, these numbers for a scoring, it's based on the 10-8 system, but it's not a clear 10-8 or a clear 10-9 round. Say a round is extremely close, and half the people gave it to one person, and half the people gave it to the other. Then you would have the score for that round would be a 9.5 and a 9.5 where two fighters are very equal in that round so there's no clear way to give it to one fighter or the other so they both just get very similar points say a fighter is very dominant in a round and but it's not clear enough for a 10-8 then you may see a scorecard that's a 10 to a you know like a 9.15 or a scorecard like that where the 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 um the scoring system is based off the the they do an average between of all the scorecards in the world so this gives you a fine point number of how close a round was or how how um dominant one fighter was we see this a lot where you can watch around and you can be like okay um this fighter fighter a clearly won but um fighter b you know wins the next two rounds very closely So in this situation, you would see a lot closer scorecards and it really takes into account a whole fight and not just who won each round. So the ending scorecards look like, you know, you could see a fight which could be like a 46.25 to a fight that earlier to 46. Now, what this does is this allows for, it really just takes the overall quality of the whole fight and compiles that together rather than just picking who won each round which in turn makes fights a lot closer than they they would be otherwise an example of this is john jones versus dominic reyes in that fight the main way that that was scored was a lot of people gave rounds 1 and 2 to dominic reyes and he won those rounds um, by a very small margin in close rounds but it was clear that Dominic Raz won. Third round being a toss up that you could give to either. And then the last two rounds being clear to John Jones in the sense that these are clear. John Jones was dominant um, 10 nines for John Jones. So in these types of fights, we would see outcomes where the two dominant rounds by John Jones means more than the three closer rounds by. That Dominic Reyes could have won so eventually John Jones does win that fight despite losing two or possibly three rounds based off the dominance in the final two rounds. I think this is a change that would clearly reinvent the sport and we would see more realistic winners and more realistic outcomes. Another big one is Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovski too. In these fights, you had Max Holloway, who gets a knockdown in round, round one, and he gets a knockdown in round two. So he wins those two rounds by a larger margin, round three being a toss-up round, so each guy would get very similar points, around, they'd probably each get close to a 9.5, and then the final two rounds were Volkanovski one, but those two rounds were not as big, they were not as dominant of rounds as Max Holloway's rounds one and two. So Max Holloway would get more points for round one and two, and Volkanovski would get a little bit less than Max did in rounds three and four, and then round, or excuse me, in rounds four and five. And then round three is a toss-up round that's very close, and then eventually you have Max, the winner, because of his first two rounds, which were very dominant. And I think this adds a lot more nuance rather than just saying, oh, one guy wins three rounds, um they're all 10-9s. The other guy won two rounds 10-9. You know, there isn't really room for to display how close a round is in the Verdict MMA system. You can see closely, you know, who wins each round by how much they win a round. You know, right now it's just, "Oh, we have 10-9 or 10-8." Really, you never see 10-10s, incredibly rare. You never see 10-7s, incredibly rare. You We might in I couldn't imagine a time we see either of those scores um if max holloway didn't get a 10-7 against calvin cater then i don't see anyone getting a 10-7 anytime soon so those those i think are are all positives here where we can see more nuance and we can see more detail in rounds we can judge closely by how close a round is and end result we come out with a better score at the end, and I think ultimately that should be the goal. Now, the biggest criticism of Verdict MMA is that you let everybody judge and score the fight. Now, the the problem a lot of people have with this is they think, oh, fan favorites will have have, if you're a fan favorite, the scorecard is more in favor to you in comparison to someone who's not such a fan favorite. That has been proven to not really be true, because if you look at the scorecards for Conor McGregor versus Habib Nurmagomedov, if you watch the fight, then look at the verdict MMA scores. Those scores are spot on, despite the fact that many people were rooting for Conor in that fight, and Conor is considered one of the fan favorites in MMA. So there isn't really any disadvantages to this. I think one way you could adjust it to make it run smoother is have have a gateway to entry instead of letting everybody score a fight in the case that um this is adopted, which I hopefully hopefully one day it will be. I don't see it happening in the near future. But I think if you can have a gateway to entry where you need to have um, scored X amount of flights, or you need to have been participating for however long, and really preventing people from hopping on the app and scoring on their first day. Which, because when you when you first start watching MMA, it's harder to decide who won a round, who lost a round. When you've been watching MMA for a while, even not even that long of a time. If you watch MMA for a year, year and a half, two years, once you get once you've been watching MMA for that long it's pretty easy to tell who won a round. So if you can kind of have a gateway system where the more experienced and the people who prove their intelligence on the app are allowed to score, I think that would make for the best possible scoring system. And I hope eventually we see um, athletic commissions realize this and hopefully it gets adopted into the UFC because I think that this would be a, a great change that we could see, and uh, you can only hope, only hope that this eventually comes into play. <clears throat> and then <coughs> the last two pieces of news that I wanted to touch on: we had two fights are who are getting pushed back because of COVID. The first being Yuri Prohashka versus Dominic Reyes. That's being pushed back. The reasoning. Hasn't yet been said why it's being pushed back, and they do not have a date yet. But that fight is off, and that fight was supposed to take place relatively soon. <coughs> that fight was supposed to take place soon, and that is going to be now headlined by um, Rosen Rosenstrike, And who is Jorzenio fighting on that date? It was it's Rosen Strike and it's a real gun. Cyril Rosen Strike and Cyril gun will now be headlining that card, and then we have on Chris Weidman and Uriah Hall has been pulled off UFC 259 because Weidman got COVID. So we are going to be seeing that pushed back. Excuse me, UFC 258 not 259. Uriah Hall versus Chris, Chris Weidman has been pulled off UFC 259 because Weidman has COVID. The The date they're looking at for that is currently uh, April 24th. That's the date they're looking to make that. Apparently, it's verbally agreed upon, but the contracts have not yet been signed. So April 24th, they're looking to move Uriah Hall and Chris, Chris Weidman to that date. Also, on the 24th, the UFC is looking to... Make a card in Asia, and they haven't disclosed which Asian country yet. But they're looking to put a card in Asia, and have it headlined by Wei Li Zhang versus Rose Namajunas, and for the one hundred and fifteen pound female belt. That would be, and then they want on the undercard of that they want Joanna Jonjic versus Zan Yuda. Ye yet yeah, versus Yan so they want that fight to take place on in the co-main I think this is a best case scenario for the female 115 pound division I think these are the the top the top four fighters Rose versus Wade Lee for the belt Yuana versus Yan for the in the co-main and then that would probably probably be a number one contenders fight and then have the losers square off against each other. A little a little mini tournament here. And I think that is a great thing for the UFC to do. Put that in Asia. And you have two of the biggest Asian MMA fighters uh, in Yan and Wei Li going up against each other. Or excuse me, not up against each other, but fighting on the same card. They would probably put a couple other Asian fighters on that card along with Weidman versus Uriah Hall. I imagine we could see Li Liang on that card. Um, a couple other guys, possibly a Manel Cape because Manel Cape is who is not Asian, but he was fought in Ryzen and has a large Asian fan base. So you could see a couple of these Asian fighters on that April 24th card, and that already sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun with the co-main and main event. So that is everything I wanted to talk about today. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you go follow me on all other social medias we've got Instagram we've got Twitter we've got TikTok we've got um if you're whatever you're watching or listening on we have YouTube Spotify Google Google podcast Apple podcast make sure to go like and subscribe on those platforms on all those platforms we are um just Headkick KO podcast pretty easy to find same logo as whatever you're seeing now um, we also have a Tapology where you can see all of my fight predictions and those are all listed on Tapology. And so next week we will be back. We will be talking about fight night Volkov versus Overeem. We'll have whatever news happens next week. Who knows what could happen from this week to the next in MMA, especially this week, as we have a lot uh, a lot of potential news in the lightweight division regarding Nate Diaz, Habib, Conor McGregor. So they're, they're, who knows what, what uh, we may see. We'll talk about any breaking fights that happen, any fight announcements. So make sure you tune in next week. And thank you for watching the Kick KO podcast.